This is your Tuesday Daily Delivery. I am Michael Rand. We've got a lot to get to, as we often do on Tuesdays. It is Tuesday morning nickelback time. That is what we call our recap look back at uh, the football that happened, maybe the football that's going to happen. Um, the big the big stuff really being usually Vikings and Gophers. I'll have Andrew Kramer on here in just a little bit for a film review, looking at the poor Vikings run defense that was better for some stretches against Detroit, but Detroit still got some big runs early and some big runs late, and that continues to be a problem for the Vikings. We'll have my least favorite team is my favorite team with Keith Rashad, and that is a uh, that's a mixed bag this week, you guys. Probably more of, even though the Vikings won, probably more of my least favorite team. We'll get into the Cousins-Zimmer stuff, um, just kind of a good back and forth Two friends talking that out. And I'll have Randy Johnson on um, talking Trey Potts. What, where do the Gophers go from here now that they know that he is out for the season? Um, you know, a favorable stretch of games coming up here. If they can get past Nebraska this weekend, they've got a bunch of winnable games before the schedule gets tough. So a time to figure it out, but, you know, a time to also take advantage of that opportunity. So some good stuff coming up. Let's get right to it right now. Tuesdays on Daily Delivery, I welcome in Andrew Kramer, does a great job covering the Vikings, does a film review um, Tuesday online, Star Tribune, and in your uh, Star Tribune print edition as well. I think we get a little taste of that in the print edition too, Andrew. Uh, We're not going to review the film this week of Kirk Cousins and Mike Zimmer shoving each other after the field goal. Uh, I think instead we'll focus on, we'll keep a focus on the field. I hope they had time to review the film of that, each of them, and I hope they'll have a chance to do that in their Thursday session. But uh, for us, let's focus on the run defense because it's been a problem. It was, been a, it was a problem last year. It was a problem a little bit in 2019 even, especially in that playoff game where they got bowled over by the 49ers. Um why is it st- aside from Michael Pierce being out for you know this most recent game? What's been the problem with the run defense, and specifically what what was Detroit doing that you know to kind of keep that storyline going? Yeah, I think if, if if the Vikings' run defense was playing as physical as Kirk was on Mike Zimmer, they'd uh, they, they might want Kirk to be playing on defense as well. Um, I, I think what we're seeing right now with some of the run defense stuff is is. The Lions and the Browns, a lot of these teams are coming out with certain runs that they're noticing are damaging the Vikings in previous games. And Mike Zimmer admitted today on Monday after the Lions game in saying that the Lions ran some of these things where they just flat out copied Cleveland. They didn't, they weren't even showing these things in their previous games. They just put them in their weekly install after the Browns beat us with them. So it took us a while to adjust to those. And Eric Kendricks, I'd asked him after the game about the run defense. And he had admitted some of this is on the coaching staff. Some of this is we're not adjusting quick enough to these runs that we're getting in the game. And then they're hitting with us, hitting us with these over and over again. And I noticed too, especially in the first half, the lions were hitting them with these counter runs yeah. where they're pu- pulling a guard from the backside, running backs going one way, blocking's going one way. And then the running back cuts back with a design lead blocker headed the opposite direction. That kind of stuff splits the Vikings defense a little bit. And they ran it over and over. It hit him for a 12-yarder in the first half. I think it hit him with another 11-yarder in the first quarter as well. Um, and then by the second half, they finally kind of picked up on that and were stopping those runs. But it just takes him too long. And Kendricks put, put voice to that. And so some of this is coaching. Some of this is – and Kendricks admitted too. Some of this is us as players because this is a very veteran defense. If it's not going to come from the sideline, the players can certainly adjust on the field as well. Like – 
yards per carry yards per game. I mean, they're down in the bottom third of the league in a lot of these categories. And I mean, it was obviously a point of emphasis based on what happened last year. You, you get Michael Pierce back. Obviously you bring in Dalvin Tomlinson, Sheldon Richardson isn't so much of a run stopper, but he's a quality player at the very least. So, you know, you're thinking the kind of the complementary players on the interior of that line. And it's not just interior line, it's linebackers, it's defensive ends too, but it, it, it's mysterious because I thought this would be better this year. And I think they did too. Yeah. And, and part of it is too, they missed Michael Pierce. That is a big part of it, but Anthony Barr is also a big part of their run defense. And he was not the same guy that we've seen before. And Barr admitted um, being tired, rusty, all that kind of stuff. And you could see it by the end of that game. When the lions came back, remember, as we all know, the Vikings have this in hand. They were up 10, four minutes left in that game. And the Lions were able to drive down and then obviously got handed the ball at the very end to score that touchdown. But Barr on both of those final scoring drives for the Lions was just gassed. He was, he was jogging behind guys. He did not look like the same player who, um, he, he said it himself, he felt slow out there. And so when you've got a linebacker like that is playing below par, you expect that to get better at some point. You expect Michael Pierce to come back. Dalvin Tomlinson didn't do a whole lot in this game. They paid him to be more of a game wrecker than what he was in this game. I'm not saying he was bad in the actually a couple times he was held. And, and Kendricks was quick to point out on that final touchdown run by DeAndre Swift. You could see there's a, a offensive lineman who's got a white sleeve on and it's around Dalvin's neck as uh, DeAndre Swift goes up the middle. Now that's not the only reason DeAndre Swift was able to cruise up there. Another one was because Barr was getting driven back into the goal line just looking exhausted. And so a couple of these things are coming together for them to just get gashed in the running game a little bit. And over a five game sample, it isn't just a little bit because it is 4.7 yards per carry allowed. That's 28th in the NFL. They're allowing a quarter of the runs against them to go for first downs. That's 21st in the NFL. They've allowed five rushing touchdowns in five games. That is dead center in the NFL at 16th. So this is a mediocre to below average run defense right now. And that was with Michael Pierce for four games. So some of these things need to get better. Some of them are products of getting hit schematically. Coach is not adjusting. And um, I, I can think of times too, where Everson Griffin was out of his gap trying to do too much. And so they're just not playing as a cohesive unit from the sideline all the way onto the field. And in particular, you brought up the the touchdown run at the end, and that was, you know, the the potential to be the game wrecker. They they score that touchdown, they get the two point conversion, and that could have been, let's face it, that could have been the Vikings' season right there. Um, and you know, the Vikings obviously come back, get the long field goal to save that game. But on that play, we were going to talk about that specifically a little bit. You talked about Tomlinson getting held. I mean, you, that 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 happens. You're talking about Barr being tired. Anything else from that play stand out? Was it something that Detroit had had success with you know, the similar style of play or were they just able to kind of get some power runs going towards the end? Yeah, they actually hurried up to the line on that play and I think caught them a little off guard. And that is actually somewhat of a theme for what was going on in this game. Kendricks um, also, he was very revealing after this game because he had also talked about how um, in the run defense, they're getting us with these motions where we are adjusting and then they're snapping the ball while we're mid adjustment. So sometimes the defensive linemen are not even having their feet set and the ball is getting snapped and that's helping offensive linemen catch them off balance and drive them farther back. And this happens so quickly in these games that it's hard to even tell that the linemen are moving at the snap, but you can see it on some of these runs. And, and that wasn't a factor. There was no motion on the DeAndre Swift um, seven yard touchdown run, but 
when you see them hurry up to the line, snap it that quick, that's what they're trying to do. The effect is to try to get these guys off balance, not paying attention. And Swift was in the end zone or colliding through bar basically into the end zone before they even knew it. And so basically those are the two things they got in between Dalvin Tomlinson, and then were able to get past Anthony Barr, and that was the main alleyway to uh, to score that touchdown, and that put the Vikings' season, as you said, on life support for about thirty seconds. Yeah, exactly. It was, it was very fast that they were able to come back, and you know, again, they're probably not in that position if they're able to do just a tiny bit more offensively, even with that you know one drive that ends up in the you know the the field goal bizarrely going short but I mean the game seemed like it was over at that point Detroit had gone for it in desperation on fourth and forever they got in the sack and then you know suddenly this is an issue again yeah and this ruined really too the last four minutes of that game ruined for the Vikings defense what was a great game for them they had held Detroit to six points up until that point they had had two turnovers they had some of these early runs that that allowed Detroit to march on them, but they ended it with sacks. They ended it with turnovers. This was a game that they did look well prepared for the play action that Jared Goff was going to be throwing at them. Um, Jared Goff wasn't able to get a lot of the passes off that they were trying to design uh, and scheme guys open for him downfield. So this was really, and they won matchups up front. This was a good game for the defense for 56 minutes. And then those last four, just, they almost threw it away. And so that's, that's almost emblematic of, of some of these Vikings games in this season so far. Last thing, is there something for them to build on then? Do they you know, feel better about some of the things they were doing? And conversely, um, if run defense has been a problem, they got some guys that they're going to be going against in future weeks. I mean, I don't know what, what McCaffrey's status is, but you know, coming out of the bye week, you're going to have Ezekiel Elliott. You're going to have to contain Lamar Jackson and everything that Baltimore does. Um, it's not going to be easy if you're struggling and run defense with the schedule they have coming up. Yeah. If you're the Vikings, you want to see Anthony Barr looking a lot um, better. You want to see him moving a lot more, you know, a lot faster, a lot quicker, reacting a lot quicker to some of these things. You want to see the coaching staff also adjust to some of these things and the veterans help them out. Because as you said, this schedule doesn't get any easier against the run. So building off of that, they need Michael Pierce to come back healthy. They really need him because He's got that ability like Linval did, where even though he's 330 pounds, he can move sideline to sideline. And Armin Watts, who started a nose tackle for them, um, he's just he's not that kind of a game wrecker. He was he, he had some good plays in there, but he's not that kind of a player. So that will change how this defense looks when Pierce gets back in there. And if they got to hold him out through Carolina and then through the bye week just to get him healthy for that Dallas game, I think that's going to be worth it because of just how 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 much of a game changer he really is. Thanks, Andrew. Follow his work. Start to be start to Look for the full film review and the big breakdown. And we will see what happens next week against Carolina because it always is a mystery. Yeah, thanks, Mike. Since I was a kid, my grandpa, Jim Warner, taught us to treat our customers like family. And to thank you for 67 years, Warner Stellion is offering unbeatable appliance savings. Go to warnerstellion.com to get your $50 coupon you won't find anywhere else. Just picking up a little bit of that conversation with Andrew Kramer. Sounds like Christian McCaffrey is hopeful that he will play on Sunday. He had been a limited participant last week but didn't play. Sounds like there's a better chance he comes back from that hamstring injury against the Vikings. Regardless, the Vikings will have a a hard time shutting down a Carolina running game that has been pretty good even without McCaffrey. Tuesdays on Daily Delivery, Keith Rashad joins me long time Really good friend of mine going back uh, a certain amount of years. Um, (laughs) We don't talk about that. That's not polite. Um, Wrote a book. I think you guys know that by now called 
my least favorite team is my favorite team. It was about the Vikings. So we kind of do a bit every week on the podcast that uh, kind of flows from that idea and the most recent Vikings game. And boy, I don't know if uh, I don't know if we'll find a better example of both of those things than what happened in the last five minutes, four minutes, however you want to make it of what was otherwise a really boring game that just turned into this weird thing at the end. What, as you watched it, uh, I've talked about it already plenty. Give me your thoughts on what you saw. Well, I don't know what you're talking about. I am so enthusiastic after that game. It was just <laughs> amazing. Going, Yippee! It's like, finally, finally, all the problems are solved and we can anoint this team as Super Bowl favorites, right? So I suggest you and everybody else get on a plane to Vegas and go bet this team while the odds are still what they are. Well, those idiots at the casinos don't know what they're talking about. They don't realize how good this team is. <laughs> I mean, just how stupid was that game? It, it, there's no team on planet Earth. I'm sure every fan base says, says this, but this is, has to be the truth about the Vikings. There's no team on planet Earth that can make you angrier after a victory right than the Minnesota yeah. Vikings that was so so dumb top to bottom and I'm starting to think I'm starting to think, it might be a tough year I don't know I know it's a weird thing to say after a victory but might not the line for the Minnesota Vikings this time around well and that's the thing I mean so they win the game let me ask you a question I'm going to interrupt I'm yeah, going to interrupt because the okay. game is so stupid yes I please ask, do. like when is the last time when is the last time you were ever excited about a victory over the Lions? It's been a while. I feel like I feel like they beat them. I think it was like 2017 or something like that. And they beat them on Thanksgiving and they scored a bunch of points. I think maybe that was the last time I was excited with they beat, that they beat the Lions. Yeah, but were you legitimately excited? Because when's usually the last it's, time usually the it's Lions... relieved. Usually you're just relieved they beat the Lions. Right. So I don't even think that was, I remember that game because they gave up a huge punt return at the end that would have won the game for the Lions. I, I think it was, I think it was a, didn't they like block a, didn't the Lions like block a kick, but they were like a million yards off sides. Like it looked like it was going to be like a kick return for a, a blocked punt, a blocked kick return for a touchdown. Something, something along those lines. It was just awful. But they, I mean, this team hasn't won the division since what Barry Sanders was playing for them. Yeah, I mean, I mean, they made the playoffs in 2016. I think that was the year they beat the Vikings twice. So as the as the Vikings go against the Lions, kind of their fortunes go essentially. <laughs> I think this year is going to test that theory, right? I mean, of, yeah, they I mean, won. They, they won. They but they, they yeah, and I'm, I don't. You're right. I don't think you were ever genuinely excited about a win over the Lions, unless it's like going back that far to the Barry Sanders era, or even maybe the Calvin Johnson era where they were, you know, they had some good teams. They were, you know, making the playoffs. Sometimes they had some, some competency to them, but yeah, right now this is the lions lions pretty hard. The Vikings tried to outdo them, but they just couldn't. And so, you know, as you think about it, a couple things come to mind. Like, you know, one is just, one for me was I tried to, I tried to write a blog post Monday, kind of like, what did we learn from this game? And it's hard did because you do that to yourself. Well, I mean, I, because I'm a professional writer at the Minneapolis Star Tribune, I have content holes to fill and um, fill in your content holes. Okay. I get it. Yes, yep. I had to, I had to shove some words into a content hole. And uh, so, you know, I, I wrote up, you know, I tried to make sense. Say, of, every content hole needs filling. It does. It does. So, you know, you know, we, we have, there's no, 
there's no quotas at the Star Tribune, but you know, the people they they demand content. So I'm thinking about how do I how do I reconcile that game? And all I could think about, and I even posted a, a clip of it on Twitter, was the last three minutes of Burn After Reading, which happens to be one of my favorite Coen Brothers movies. And frankly, with the amount of time I spent thinking about that movie and, and thinking about the lines from that movie, it's probably one of my 10 or 15 favorite movies of all time. And basically, they're just like debriefing. It's like the CIA or whatever, like the government agency is debriefing at the end of it. And they're like just going through all the absurd things that happened. And um, the, the, the head the head character says, you know, uh, well, yeah, what have gotten a spoiler alert by now? This movie came out like 17 years ago. <laughs> well, I still haven't seen. It. Well, you should. You, oh, you got to see it. And it, this isn't really this isn't really like spoiling it anyway. This is just. You know, spoiler alert if you haven't seen it, but this isn't really giving away the end of it. The main, movie. the main character says, what did we learn from all this? And it, you know, the, the underling says, boy, I don't know. And he's, you know, there's a few swear words in between there. And he says, I guess we just learned to never do that again. And that's <laughs> kind of, I kind of feel like that's all we learned from this game. Like, don't ever do that again. Don't play a game like that again. Don't let a team like the Lions hang around like that again. Don't be so passive in your offensive pro- approach that this game like somehow stays within reach. And certainly don't miss a field goal and then follow that with a fumble and then follow that by letting the Lions waltz into the end zone and score a two-point conversion and then have to rescue it with a very improbable drive. Like the Vikings win percentage, like their, their win probability was over 99% after they sacked Goff like when it was 16-6 with like, four minutes left like the game was over the game should have been over at that point and then all of a sudden it looks like it's like the lions have this huge probability the vikings end up winning of course but like just i guess the only thing you can learn and i don't know if they can learn this because they're a fundamentally flawed team is just don't do that again well what what we learned is that they are who they are this year yeah. But they're not very good. And we also learned that Mike Zimmer is never going to change, right? Because so then Lions get their field goal and uh, Mike Zimmer decides with the defense, which is bad, right? This defense is still bad. I know that they made the, they made the Lions look not great. Right. Okay. But again, as we've talked about, unless they get a pass rush, they are not any good. And the pass rush that they have is very good but not so dominant that it can forever cover up uh, all the rest of the problems. So it's yeah. a bad defense, but here they are trying to ice the game away. And what do they do? The utterly predictable three runs so that Mike Zimmer can let his pretty precious defense be the ones that save the day in the long run, right? You don't trust your $40 million quarterback, right? You don't trust the best unit on your team. You run the ball three times and then they get the fumble. And, and they score and do what the Lions should do in that position is go for the two points. Absolutely. And so, you know, again, it was scared coaching, scared football. It was typical of exactly what you would expect from this team. Now, Mike Zimmer is never going to do anything other than rely on his defense, even if they're the demonstrably worse of the two between the offense and defense. And so it, I, they almost should have lost this game just to emphasize that nothing is ever going to change with the regime and the way they're at right now. It's just awful. Yeah. And it, you know, you referenced the, 
the Zimmer cousins thing at, you know, at, as the field goal went through and all, all accounts we have are that that was a moment of exuberance. It was a, it was an awkward moment of exuberance, but just like cousins turning to Zimmer and like shaking him and basically saying, you like that. Like, I, I do wonder if there's just like even a piece of that, that's cousins being frustrated that like, oh, you wonder, you wonder, oh, you don't wonder? you? Maybe but, there was but, a piece of that, but, but you here's the thing. Like, you have to take, we don't know. We don't know what we just, <laughs> yes, I mean, we, do. we don't, we don't, we can, we can speculate only cousins and Zimmer really know that only cousins and Zimmer really know what happened there. Cousins said it was just excitement. You and I have celebrated a few victories in our day. I don't think I've ever shaken you that hard after we won something. Have I? You are, you are the professional journalist. You are the one that has actual responsibilities uh, and you have to be a bit more responsible and measured in what you say. I am the idiot who could be kicked off of this podcast at any given moment. Any moment. So I will tell you right now that there is no way that there wasn't at least one deep vein of anger on Kirk Cousins' part and then Zimmer responding at least somewhat in kind. And that whole incident, right, you, you can tell me we don't know, we don't know. Right. That, that, that situation is exactly how one thinks of Kirk Cousins, right? That he can play it off on, oh, it's just exuberance. I was just celebrating. My heart is pure. I'm a good guy. Don't worry about it, right? Uh, but there is no way that there wasn't at least some level of deep frustration that you will not be able to convince me. You as somebody who is respected and professional, I can understand why you would have to sort of be a little bit more measured in, in a take that way. I don't have to be, I don't believe it. I don't believe that there wasn't at least some deep vein of anger in there between the two of them. And, and, and we can I, cover I, it up. I agree with you, by the way, I agree well, with yeah. you. You're, you're being pretty measured too, but I agree with you. I think there's something there. I just don't know what it was. That has to be at least some level of frustration with they ran the ball three times, basically directly into the line, right? That, that we knew at the end of that game, Zimmer was attempting to allow his defense to win it for him, even though they are the lesser of the two units. And so then Kirk Cousins, right, who receives a bulk of the criticism because of his position and his pay and all that kind of stuff, is going to have to hear the end of it, or never hear the end of it. If he blows this lead again, it's another big loss, right? And so then finally, when Zimmer is forced to allow his better unit to perform to finish off that game, they do it. They do what they need to do. And so then Kirk Cousins made sure that he was standing by Zimmer. He did. Right? Made sure he was standing by Zimmer and then got his opportunity to shout in his face when they won the game. There is no way that was not deliberate on his part. And I do not believe him, just like a lot of people don't believe him when he starts spouting off about whatever he's going off, you know, this, this pure of heart, whatever he's. Now I'm just sputtering because yeah. I'm so angry. But you're, you're, you're onto something. I mean, it's, it's the, the, you know, the first two games of the season that they lost, Kirk Cousins played really well and had him in position to win and, you know, drove them into the, you know, drove them for, you know, score that, that got them into, into overtime, drove them down the field in overtime before the Dalvin Cook fumble. Arizona game, same thing, played really well, got them in position for the game winning kick. They didn't make it like maybe, if we're reading into it, if we're trying to understand the subtext and the context here, 
you can imagine why there would be frustration. He's like, I'm playing well. Um, I think it's debatable whether the offense or defense is better at this point, just because the offensive line still has questions. They're, they're still, you know, I think that still might sort itself out. But when the offense has opened things up, um, they, they've done they've done some good things this year. So he's saying, let me go win you a game instead of trying not to lose you a game. I think I think he could certainly be frustrated about that. Absolutely. And and what's so what's so ridiculous about this dynamic is you have two ridiculous human beings, two absolutely ridiculous human beings who have very clear flaws that we all recognize at this point in time. And they are so mismatched that there is no way that they will ever be able to course correct for one another. Right. They will never be able to, to mesh because the way that their flaws overlap are such that there's just no room for any improvement for either one of them. And I'll tell you what, it would be so fun. It would be so fun to be on the fly of the wall for that 45 minute of film review that they have this week. Especially if they would have lost. Like imagine if they would have lost that game. Imagine if they don't get that final drive or the the field goal is missed. Like, and they're one and four right now. And everything is just, the mood is just so dark. I mean, I, I imagine the mood is brightened you know just because they, they probably feel like they got away with one and they absolutely did i mean it, for for as long as they controlled that game they, they 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 did everything they could to give it away in the end so they can feel i don't know what they're feeling today is it is it probably just relief is probably the biggest thing and the opportunity now to potentially get to 500 before the buy you know all of a sudden you know they when you win a game you at least beat back the idea of you know changes that are going to be made immediately things like that because if they lose that game like we've talked about man if they they go into the buy one and five like people might not come out of that with their jobs well yeah but you know what is the mood right if you happen to take a slightly more circuitous route to the guillotine right i mean i'm sure that's nice I'm sure it's great that you got an extra quarter mile or, you know, a few extra hundred steps in before they chop off your head. But uh, I don't think that there are too many idiots in, in the, too many football idiots there that they don't realize what's happening here. Mike Zimmer is finally conceded to meet with his quarterback year eight into his regime. This guy is not going to change and his defense is now bad. So what does he bring you? You'd have a general manager that cannot build depth despite having 53 draft picks every year. And it's just, it's, it's more the same. No team in history can make you feel worse about a win than the stupid Minnesota Vikings. Sounds like they might be your least favorite team this week. Maybe that's how we're going to end it. I think that last bit at the end says it all. The Vikings, nobody makes you feel worse about a win and nobody makes you feel worse about a loss. Get a little bonus coverage out of Randy Johnson here on daily delivery uh, today. Randy's usually on Tuesdays and I was going to give him a week off, but there is news. Trey Potts, Gophers running back out for the season. We learned that on Monday, he had been hospitalized in Indiana after the Purdue game uh, was released from the hospital back in Minnesota, but learned from PJ Fleck on Monday that Trey Potts will not play the rest of the year. So Randy, I imagine what we know about this might be a little limited by what they are able and willing to share, but maybe you can give us a kind of a, a summary of what we do know about, uh, about Trey Potts and, and what's keeping him out. 
Well, yeah, what uh, the situation is, basically, uh, they're very optimistic about Trey Potts, the person, basically, uh, his recovery uh, from the injury going forward. Now, uh, Trey Potts, a football player, uh, he's out for the year, and P.J. said it was just too, too soon to tell um, if it's going to be something that's a career-threatening type of injury. Um, you know, they just don't know yet. Um, yeah, they're not, they're not divulging what uh, injury specifics it is. Uh, basically, they're leaving that uh, deferring to the family uh, if they want to uh, say what, what the injury is. Uh, so far, we have not heard, heard from them on that. Uh, yeah, basically, they're, um, they're you know, very happy that he returned. He had been in uh, two different hospitals, in, in, uh, one, one in Purdue and one in Indianapolis. Um, so he, he got back Friday, and uh, uh, P.J. Flex said he expects uh, – he thinks that uh, Trey might uh, be at practice tomorrow, just, you know, obviously not in uniform or anything, but just with back with the team. Okay, and remind me, like – when this happened, we maybe it was you know it, it didn't seem like much, right? This wasn't the thing where it was like it was a injury where they stopped the game. Like it, he just all of a sudden he was he was leaving the leaving the field, and then and then all of a sudden this kind of developed the next day, right? Yeah, it was late in the game uh, when the Gophers were driving for their uh, uh, final field goal to put him up seven points in Purdue. Uh, he left the game after uh, gaining six yards on a third and three. Um, went over the sidelines and, you know, basically something happened where he ended up uh, going to the, uh, the pop-up tent to get looked at. And then they um, uh, eventually had an ambulance, uh, took him by ambulance to, to a local hospital. Uh, basically today, uh, PJ was uh, very complimentary on, on the, the, the medical staff, the team's medical staff, uh, on how they um, sprang to action in this situation. So that he was, uh, you know, praising them left and right on, on this. And like you said, um, the recovery of Trey Potts, the person much more meaningful than what his impact is on the football field. And it sounds like that will, you know, if, if all goes according to plan, that will proceed well. Um, the football element of this is pretty interesting though, too. I think we maybe talked about this a little bit last week as we thought about, you know, is he going to be available at, at any point? You know, they're already down, of course, their star, their starter, uh, Mo Ibrahim. Now, now their you know, chosen number two is out for the year two. Do you, if you had to, you know, if you're kind of looking into a crystal ball, is this going to become a situation where you think it just gets shared the rest of the year? Or do you think PJ's flex the kind of coach who wants somebody to grab that again, kind of like Trey Potts did when, when Mo went down? I think it might be a combination of those a bit, uh, he, he did say today that he expects a committee, but the head of that committee right now looks to be the freshman uh, Marquise Bucky Irving. Um, he, he's their leading healthy rush runner right now. Um, there's another uh, uh, a redshirt freshman, Kai Thomas, who's been given a good look. And there are a couple older uh, runners in uh, Bryce Williams and Cam Wiley in the mix. Yeah, you might you probably see a little bit of a uh, little bit more of a committee, but I would expect that uh, Irving would emerge as, as the the lead runner there, get most of the carries, maybe not not to the level that Potts or Ibrahim were getting. On the other mix, uh, other wild card in the mix is um, is uh, quarterback Cole Kramer, who's been running the Wildcat um, very effectively against Purdue. So I, I think we'll see more more of that at times too. You know, they're they're going to probably have to cobble this together. Um, 
good news they, they received is that um, wide receiver uh, Chris Ottman Bell should be good to go, PJ said, uh, for Nebraska on Saturday. And uh, Dalen Wright will be back with the team after uh, missing the Purdue game to tend to a, a personal matter back in Texas. Yeah, that, reminds, that brings me to my final thought. Nebraska um, this weekend. Now, Nebraska may be a little bit deceptive right now with, with their record because you know they've, they've been in a lot of close games against good teams, probably the best, you know, the best opponent the Gophers will face in the next few weeks, at least until their schedule maybe tightens up a little bit at the end with Iowa. And, you know, if we, if we can consider Wisconsin to be a good team now, I'm not sure we do. Um, but Nebraska is going to be a test for sure. Um, how do you, how do we kind of early on evaluate, uh, how that one could go and, and what do, and what the Gophers is going to try to accomplish? Yeah, that's 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 an interesting one because Nebraska, you know, everybody wrote them off to begin the season when they lost to Illinois uh, in the first weekend. But you look at the last few games, um, they took three teams: uh, Michigan State to overtime, uh, Oklahoma was a one-score game, and then they lost to Michigan. All three of those teams undefeated, um, so they're right. They could have won any of those games or all of them. Uh, then they are the other game in that stretch. They beat. Uh, Northwestern 56 to seven. So they're, you know, they're rolling pretty good. It's, they just haven't been, been able to close up uh, three victories there that, you know, were pretty, pretty tight games that uh, would have, would have put them in a lot better light. Um, I, I would, I would think the Gophers should realize they have a, a pretty uh, stout opponent on their hands. Yeah, for sure. Not the Nebraska of old, but a team that, you know, if you've gotten used to them struggling to a certain degree in recent years, they are struggling kind of, but they, they, they're not going to be the, you know, the, the pushover that their record might indicate. Well, I'll be interested to see how they adjust, how, how they play on Saturday. It's a big one. I mean, they can start to kind of get on a roll here if they can get this one, because the schedule in the middle here is kind of, kind of soft and, and forgiving. They can start to kind of rack up some victories, get themselves bowl eligible, and then see where the rest of the season goes. Yeah, they're they're uh, this is the opportunity part of the schedule, um, the four game stretch, uh, Nebraska, Maryland here at home, at Northwestern, uh, Illinois at home, and then then they go to Iowa, uh, in the big game, uh, in, in November. So they they can you know they can uh, position themselves better. Now it's they got to go out and do it. It's going to be a little bit more difficult without uh, another running back. Yeah, absolutely, and that's the that's going to be the interesting part this weekend too. It might be. A matter of you're right the the passing game or the kind of the mix and match with with Kramer trying to uh, run the ball a little bit as well and seeing if they can put some points on the board. Well, Randy Johnson, good stuff. Thanks for the uh, extra help this week, and we'll do this again next Tuesday. All right. Okay, sounds good, Mike. Appreciate it. Good stuff from Randy Johnson as usual. I'm interested in that Gophers Nebraska game. That could be a tipping point in this season for Minnesota. Win that one, they can get on a big time roll lose that one, and I think their options are quite a bit more limited. So we will see what happens on Saturday when they are back in action. That'll pretty much do it for today. Got to give you a Nickelback fact right now. The readers of Rolling Stone voted Nickelback as the second worst band of the 1990s behind only Creed. That hurts. I guess right now it is safe to say I think the readers of the Star Tribune would vote the Vikings the second worst team in the NFC North behind only the Lions. But I don't know that for a fact. I'm just guessing. But I think that's probably true. That's what it says in the standings as well. 
That'll do it for today. Good stuff coming up on Wednesday. Going to talk some college uh, college basketball with Marcus Fuller. He was at Big Ten Media Day late last week, and I'll have some John Gruden thoughts as well. So stay tuned for that. Thanks for joining me today. We'll get you again on Wednesday.